0: one Corinthians chapter fourteen and we're looking at the gift of tongues this morning and what I really hope that we see as we walk through these verses today is that this is a way that we God graciously has given his people to communicate with him, to speak with them, to pray with them. And actually what Helen's been sharing there in terms of seeing God as not just a kind of ethereal being or something that is out there, but actually someone who who desires and wants to communicate with us and have a relationship with us and pour into us but also hear from us as well father son and spirit and that's what i believe paul wants us to see in these verses this morning so we're going to look at the gift of tongues this is the 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 last um, kind of step back that we're going to take from uh, the kind of the flow of 1 corinthians 14 so last week we took a step back and looked at the gift of prophecy this week we're looking at the gift of tongues then next week we're going to wrap things up in chapter 14 just looking at the last few verses looking at what it means to be orderly in our worship like chapter 12 13 14 are all about how ways the gathered people of god and um, gather well and function well as god's people but we're going to look specifically this morning at the gift of tongues and i said this before about prophecy but it's probably the same with the gift of tongues as well that i'm quite sure all of us come with with having seen things or heard things or even experienced something of tongues ourselves and we bring different conceptions or maybe we're, we're excited about stepping into this and seeing what God's word has to say about it and I, I was thinking back as I was preparing this the first time I came into to um, kind of experience the gift of tongues in, uh, in in the gathering of God's people I must have been nine or ten and there was a tent campaign in Birkenhead Park and I grew up in, in a, uh, a kind of evangelical brethren church cessationist church And we all went, kind of truck, truck truckloads, coachloads of people from all over. uh, We all went to this tent campaign, and it was great. Kind of, someone got up and 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 gave a gospel message, and we sang together. And then, unprompted, someone came up onto the. Well, they must have asked for the microphone. Someone came up on the stage and started speaking in tongues. And uh, a, a request went out to the congregation who were gathered: Has anyone got an interpretation? Sure enough, someone came and gave interpretation i'm so interested on the way home listening to particularly the older men mm. in the church from the church i was trying to work out what was going on and where where they could place themselves and where they place what was going on and i never experienced it again until kind of later on in my teen years where i started hanging around with um, some more folks who were from a pentecostal background and this was just something which was normal and and frequent for them to, to, to experience but, but in the evangelical world particularly reformed evangelical um, world the, the gift of tongues even more than the gift of prophecy there's something about the gift of tongues which, which a lot of folks are quite dismissive of or they're, they're cautious of or they're even critical of in terms of it functioning in, in the church now and it's really interesting so some of the, the guys who we would listen to and we'd be more than happy to have preaching here uh, kind of well-known reformed evangelical um, speakers and pastors listening to to some of the ways that they've unpacked these verses actually made me cringe a little bit because they they would go as far to make fun of the gift of tongues um but it doesn't have to be that way we we don't have to be cautious we don't have to be dismissive we certainly shouldn't be people who would make fun of the gift of tongues And actually, we said this right at the start in chapter 12, that we can be people of the word. We can be reformed and evangelical and hold up the word of God as our ultimate authority and love the word of God. And we can be people who engage in things of the spirit. Like, there can be a beautiful convergence when the word and the spirit come together and we can walk faithfully as a church into the spiritual gifts, prophecy, tongues, things like that. We don't need to separate these out as 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 a kind of false dichotomy. There is a way that the gift of tongues specifically, which we'll look at this morning, can be done rightly to the glory of God and to the good of the church. And Paul's going to seek to address how we do that in chapter 14 here. Like we know the context of what's going on here. We've heard it the last few weeks that in, in Corinth there has been an abuse. Of uh, the gift of tongues that people have been standing up in the, in the gathering and speaking in tongues and there's been no interpretation and they've, they've been making a platform for themselves but it's interesting Paul just like he, he does with prophecy when that's been abused he doesn't tell them to stop speaking in tongues he just seeks to correct them we said this before that abuse of something isn't an excuse for disuse just because things have been done wrong and we've seen them done wrong it doesn't mean that we shouldn't use those things so we're going to read through uh, the first half of chapter 14 again we read it a few weeks ago and we're going to go through a few verses here which are going to help us get our heads around and just really grasp what is going on here and what the gift of tongues are and how they should look in the gathering of God's people so let's um, start in chapter 14 verse 1 I'll read and then I'll pray pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy someone interpret, so that the church may be built up now brothers if I come to you speaking in tongues how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching if even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes how will anyone know what is played and if the bugle gives an indistinct sound who will get ready for battle so with yourselves if with your tongue you are to speak that is not intelligible how will anyone know what is said for you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. For if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue with my spirit praise, but my mind is unfruitful, what am I to do? Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. Bring your thinking. Be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? For if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by you; He is called to account by you. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help this morning. We ask that uh, as your spirit illuminates uh, these words to us, that we will be pointed towards uh, you and your son. We will be pointed towards um, knowing you and seeing you and loving you even more than we do now. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just uh, help us to get to grips with these words this morning. Where there is confusion, I pray that you would bring clarity. Where there is resistance, I pray that you would bring freedom and liberty. And Jesus, most of all, we pray that you would be exalted amongst us. It's in your name, for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. Just to remind us of the context that, that Paul is speaking into. This is the church in Corinth, 2,000 years ago. And, and for the last couple of chapters, he's been, he's been really hammering home that the foundation of everything that the church do is love. That is kind of the, 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 the essence of, of who they are. They are a people who God has shown his love to. So they have a relationship with God and he has poured out his love. He has, he has rescued them from their sin and their slavery all because he loves them. And out of a response and a reaction of the love that God has shown them. So they should then be people who love the body. They should, they should engage and function and serve in ways that are loving towards one another. And so let's remind ourselves in verse 1 Paul says primarily before you do anything. Before you even pray for the spiritual gifts pursue love. That should be the first thing that, that we do as a church. pursue love. And we know that the church in Corinth weren't doing that, that they were, they were engaging with, a, with a, a wrong use of the spiritual gifts. They were trying to elevate themselves. They were trying to make a name for themselves. And they had a wrong desire. They weren't functioning from a place, a place of love. And back in chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says, it just sounds like a, 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 a clanging cymbal. When you're functioning, when you're kind of receiving these, these gifts from God, but you haven't got love, it's just like a, a really annoying noise in your ear, it just doesn't sound right, it's out of place. All of the gifts that God gives His children are to be used in and through it in response to love, and it's no different with the gift of tongues. So before we move off, what are the gift of tongues? What are the gift of tongues? Let's just read verse 2 again. Paul says, For one who speaks in the tongue speaks not to man but to God. For no one understands him but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So first of all, Paul says these are words addressed to God. These aren't words addressed to man. These are words addressed to God. Another word of addressing words to God is prayer. That's what it is. Tongues are, are a form of prayer. They're a form of communicating to God. And these are... These are words which, which are going from man up to God. Which is different from prophecy if you think back to what prophecy is. This is God revealing things to man. So it's kind of coming down from God. But tongues is, is, is operating in the other direction. This is words from man addressed to God. So this is prayer. It's also unintelligible prayer. Paul says that, that no one understands him when he speaks. In tongues, He says that there are mysteries of the Spirit. So, so tongues are, are prayers that, that are spoken by man towards God that aren't understood by the speaker or the hearer. And these prayers could be prayers of, of glorifying God. These could be prayers that are given to God as, as instruments in, in spiritual warfare. So in, in Ephesians chapter 6, you see Paul talking to the church in Ephesus and he says, Pray in the Spirit at all times. And, and the context that he is talking about there is, is to pray for the other, other believers who are under persecution. And so tongues could be spoken as prayers as, as part of our spiritual warfare, or they could be a way of compensating for our weakness in prayer. So in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul there says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness with groans beyond words. So there, the, the, the kind of picture is that, that, that we are, we are in, a, in a place of spiritual of physical or emotional weakness and 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 speaking in tongues in those moments of the spirit helping us in our weakness given given words that we can't necessarily understand spoken through us towards god and verse 16 let's just read that together paul says otherwise if you give thanks with your spirit how can anyone in the position of outside say amen so these could be prayers of thanks Tongues could be prayers of of thanks and and praise towards God. So the gift of tongues are a Holy Spirit-empowered ability to pray, to praise or to worship God in a spiritual language that is different from your own. A language that is unintelligible to the hearer and to the speaker. Now if you just had a cursory glance over chapter 14, and we, we've kind of walked through some of this, and even early doors when we were looking at the gift of prophecy, you might be left thinking that, that prophecy is the greatest gift. This is the, the gift that Paul is really pushing, and he wants you to have this gift more than, than, any other, than, than any other gift. And there is a sense of that. But you almost might leave as well thinking that, that tongues are to be avoided. That at a cursory glance, it could be that Paul is saying that these, are, these aren't for the upbuilding of the church, so so kind of leave these back here and engage in prophecy. That's safe. That is going to be a, a, a way that the church is built up. But that isn't Paul's intent. In verse 5, Paul says he wishes that all would speak in tongues. He says the same about prophecy, but he says he wishes all would speak in tongues. In verse 1, he, he says that we should desire this gift. This is part of the spiritual gifts that God gives us listed out in chapter 12. In verse 18, he's thankful to God that he speaks in tongues. In verse 39, Paul goes as far to command that we should not forbid the speaking of tongues. Paul doesn't want us to leave this chapter thinking that this is a negative gift, that this is something we should be cautious and just put in a box and leave to people who are well experienced and never go near because it's just going to bring division and it's not going to be for the upbuilding of the church. It's a spiritual gift and, and by its nature, it is a gift. We don't want to reject the gift that God gives to us. He only gives his children good gifts. So let's not kind of treat the gift of tongues as something we want to avoid or something that that we should just kind of leave to other people. See it as one of the gifts that God gives to his church. They are a beautiful means of us personally or us corporately deepening our relationship with God. And so we should want that. We should want to engage in, in the relationship that God has brought us into. We should want to engage in that, that, that personal relationship that God has brought us into. And let me just quickly address, before we move off from here, the different types of tongues that you come across, particularly in the New Testament here. And the first kind of, kind of obvious place that, that we see the gift of tongues is in Acts chapter 2. So at Pentecost, you see the disciples gathering, and you have this miraculous Um, picture of of people from all over over the known world at that time gathering together and the disciples speaking out the gospel proclaiming the gospel proclaiming uh, the goodness of who God is but all in different languages now remember these men a lot of them were kind of uneducated fishermen they hadn't kind of gone to school they hadn't gone to to language class or whatever to learn these different languages there is it there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and God, by his grace, allows all those who are gathered to hear what is being spoken in their own language. Not even in their own language, in their own dialect. Specifically in their own dialects. And so you see, you see tongues being used there, but, 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 but the way that they are spoken out, they are spoken out in real human languages. And that was a, that was a miracle. Does that still happen? Do we still see tongues being used in that way? I think I think we do but they're rare that's a rare outworking of the gift of tongues that we see and specifically it isn't what Paul is talking about here in chapter 40. In verse 2 Paul says that when tongues are spoken they are mysteries of the spirit so in Acts chapter 2 there is no mystery everyone hears what is spoken and they understand it so there's no, there's no kind of interpretation needed there's no mystery words are spoken and they hear them in their own language and dialect. Paul in chapter 14 isn't talking about a foreign language here. He's talking about a heavenly language. A heavenly language that is either spoken privately between you and God or corporately in a gathering like we have this morning with interpretation. And so, and looking again at this cursory glance and and maybe leaving and coming away from chapter 14, thinking that this is a a negative thing, that it's something that the church maybe needs to steer away from. Why do we get that picture? And why do we, kind of as as an evangelical reformed community of churches, see tongues potentially in such a negative light? Four reasons Paul gives us in this text here. The first is this. If you follow Paul's logic between chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, Paul insists, and kind of every chapter he comes back and he bangs the same drum that the church is a place for the building up of others if you walk into a church if we ever become a church god forbid we ever become a church there's anything other than being a place where where we are building each other up and we should shut down i don't think we could we become a church anymore but we are a place we are a gathering we are a people where love is on display and as a result of that love being on display the body is built up <laughs> verse 1 to 5 you do get the sense where Paul is saying that the prophecy is greater than uninterpreted tongues because where there is an uninterpreted tongue given in the gathering there is no no display of love and we'll kind of see that in a bit more detail in a minute but look carefully at what Paul says in verse 5 he says the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. We often miss that kind of really important word there, unless. So Paul is saying the one who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues. but only if there isn't an interpretation. If there is an interpretation, then we, we get the same benefit that we might from the gift of tongues. But we first and foremost need to see that the church is a place for the building up of others. That is the goal when we gather to glorify God as we pour love into one another. Secondly, uninterpreted tongues bring no benefit to the church. Verse 6 Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So here's the picture Paul is saying Imagine I just come uh, to you in the gathering, and all I do is speak in tongues. The Apostle Paul who has, has all of kind of the head knowledge that, that the Holy Spirit gives him to write Romans and, and all of these kind of complex theological um, 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 frameworks. And if all he does when he comes to the church is just speak in tongues, what benefit is that to them? If they've got no interpretation, if they don't understand what he's saying, if it's unintelligible, how is the church edified? And he gives an example in verse 7 and 8. He says, even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp don't give distinct notes. How will anyone know where it's played? If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Paul gives an example. He says if kind of a a flute or a harp is just kind of giving off random notes and just like going a bit freestyle but to to no rhythm or rhyme and it's just like popping off random random notes, it doesn't mean anything. It's to no benefit to the hearer. Verse 9, Paul says, Uninterpreted tongues, if all I do is bring you tongues with no interpretation, I might as well be speaking into the air. Chess doesn't receive a benefit like that it's like a foreign language he says in verse 10 i had this in my first year in university so i had to redo my maths um, in my first year and the first teacher that we had was a russian guy and um, he didn't last long because he'd be he'd be kind of doing all his work his maths work on the board which might as well have been in a foreign language but then he was all also speaking in russian so this was a room full of english students and he would kind of work it through like speaking at and we didn't have a clue what he was saying. It was hard enough to follow what he was doing on the ball, but then he was literally speaking in a, in a foreign language. And we, a few of us kind of went to our tutors and mentioned this too when he got replaced for another Russian guy who could speak English, <laughs> thankfully. And, um, and I managed to get my head around, around mass. But there is a sense that Paul is saying, unless you can understand what is being spoken in the gathering, if there's, if there's no interpretation, you will not benefit. You'll just hear a noise and you you won't grow, you won't be built up. Remember the foundation that Paul is bringing here, verse 12. Strive to excel in building up the church. That's what we do the moment when we come into this building. That's what we should be striving for. And everything that we do, whether we're singing, whether we're preaching, whether we're playing, whether we're we're doing the buttons on, 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 on the laptop or we're doing the kids, whatever it is, strive to build one another up. And it's the same with tongues. Thirdly, tongues without interpretation. If, if, if there is no interpretation, if someone stands up and gives a tongue and there's no interpretation, how, how does the body engage with that? How do we engage with what is going on? If someone stands up and speaks a tongue, they're just if this is just something between them and God and we're just kind of watching. We, we can't engage with that. We can't relate with it. We can't hear. We can't join in with what is going on. That's why in verse 13 Paul says, pray, pray for an interpretation. Ask God for an interpretation. Don't just leave it hanging out there. Paul encourages the church in verse 14 and 15 to pray and sing with the spirit and mind. So pray with the spirit. That's, That's tongues. Pray with the spirit and the mind. That's an interpretation. So when the gathering comes together, there should be spiritual prayer tongues but there should also be an engagement of the mind someone bring in an interpretation that we can wrap our minds around and understand what is going on why verse 16. otherwise if you give thanks with your spirit how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying. Paul is saying if, if we don't know what is going on if we can't hear an interpretation how can we say Amen Amen literally means I agree or I, I can care or I, I confirm what you are saying. How can we do that unless we know what is being said? But Paul is saying if someone gives an interpretation and we hear what is going on in that tongue and we can understand what is going on then all of us should be able to say Amen we agree we can care with what you are saying. We are able to engage with tongues. And fourth, another reason why we get kind of just a negative perception of what's going on. Tongues, interestingly, tongues are a sign of judgment for those who don't believe. So in verses 20 to 23, uh, Paul quotes directly from Isaiah 28. And Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament is looking back to Deuteronomy 28. And, And in Deuteronomy 28, Um, God gives his people a warning and he gives a warning about foreigners coming in and taking his people out into exile. And we know that that God gives them warnings and he says, keep in this covenant. Don't break this covenant. Walk in obedience or I will bring others who will rule over you. And if they break that covenant, God is going to discipline them. He will bring that enemy and that enemy will speak a foreign tongue people of Israel won't understand their language. And sure enough, we know that happens, don't we? The Assyrians come, the Babylonians come, um, and the, the, the Israelites find themselves in captivity in Egypt, and, and even when this letter is being written, the, the people of God find themselves under, under an oppressive, oppressive regime of the Romans. That they have a constant life in and out of exile, foreign nations coming and speaking a foreign language. Principle here that Paul is building is that for the for the people of God, and remember this is two thousand years ago, and their kind of context here is is a, is, is a foreign nations coming in and, and leading them into exile or oppressing them. The principle Paul is building here is that he's saying he's saying um, a foreign language, a foreign language, God's people being ruled by a foreign nation. Brings a context of being under the punishment of God. That was the reality for Israel. God said, he literally says that there will be a foreign nation who will come and you will not understand their language. Is that how we want unbelievers to feel when they come into our corporate gathering when we gather together? Do we want them to feel that they are under some sort of punishment from belief? Do we want them to feel that they are under some sort of punishment for for rejecting God the reality is that they are they are under judgment from God but we should want them to come in and we should want them to to feel like they they are being built up like they are being loved by the body we shouldn't want to confuse them we shouldn't want to drive them away we shouldn't want them to come in and Paul says it specifically for them to think that we are out of our minds that isn't the goal of the gathering The goal is that we build one another up. The goal is that people step into that door and they see that we are a people of love. Not confusion, not disorder. But building one another up. So what does it look like to do this well? What does it look like to be a church who are engaging with this gift that is given by God and do it well? Let's just read uh, verse 27 and 28. If any speak in a tongue... Let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn. And let someone interpret. But If there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Paul makes it really clear here that tongues, when, when tongues are being spoken in the corporate gathering, it isn't out of control and it isn't irrational. So, so the very fact that Paul is saying, take turns, means that there must be some sort of control that we're able to, to, to have. That, that We don't just kind of sit there and these things take us over and, we, and we, we have no ability but to speak them out. Paul is saying, no, do this in an orderly way. Only two or three of you. And it's not irrational. It's not the kind of, the Holy Spirit takes over our mind and we've got no idea what is going on and we, and we kind of lose ourselves in the moment. Paul says, this is something that we can bring under our control. Take turns. So it's not irrational, it's not out of control, and also there will always be an interpretation, either by the one who's speaking or the one in the body who's given the gift of interpretation. Quickly, what is interpretation? What is the gift of interpretation? You see in chapter 12 is listed out as one of the gifts that God gives. It's a spiritual gift. The gift of interpretation is given to to someone or or people in the body as a gift from God. And it's the ability to communicate the heavenly tongue into a common language. The goal of of the one who has the gift of interpretation is to make the unintelligible intelligible. So that the gathering can say amen when we hear what is said. And that interpretation could be word for word. Someone might stand up and, and give a tongue, might speak in that heavenly language and someone else has the gift of interpretation. They may be able to say word for word what is being spoken or it might be a paraphrase of what is being spoken or it might, it might be um, a commentary on what is being spoken much like when you might go over to the arts hub and you see a painting over there and someone might kind of stand and give a commentary of what they see, a background to what is going on. So maybe word for word, it might be a paraphrase, it could be a commentary. Practically, interpretation, when we hear the interpretation of the tongue, it will be a prayer, it will be praise, it will be it will be thanks, it will be prayerful adoration. And it will always be in line with God's word. <coughs> Can I just say if it's not any of those things, if what we hear come out of the mouth of the one who is interpreting the tongue isn't prayerful adoration? I think we just need to take a step back and just ask what's going on. It won't be confusing. When the interpretation is given, it shouldn't be something that we then have to go away and try and work out and and, and wrap some details around and, and, and put more effort and more interpretation. It should be something that they're there and in, in that moment, the body hear the interpretation and we all say, amen, we agree. So before we kind of uh, agree, started the service this morning we spent a bit of time praying and we spent some time in the psalms and i kind of see the psalms as a really helpful way of, of kind of painting a picture of what this should look like in the psalms you read you read about the character of god you read about how how glorious he is you you read and um, david and the other psalm writers just praising and extolling and exalting god for who he is and that's what we should hear when we hear interpreted tongues we should hear god be exalted we, we should hear him be praised. We should hear him being built up. And like at the end of a lot of psalms, David, Asaph, whoever writes it, says, Amen. We shouldn't have to sit down and work out what is going on. It should, these should be easy things that we see, the beauty of who God is, and we can affirm with our mouth saying, Amen. If it's not, it doesn't seem like it fits in the principles that Paul gives us here. So when we gather together, And if God chooses in his grace to give someone the gift of tongues, there will always be the gift of interpretation. You don't be sitting there thinking, well, how do I know? If God gives me the the gift of tongues and I kind of feel that he's given me a tongue to speak, how do I know that someone else in the room has been given the gift of interpretation? I can't give you a verse here, but I just think you know. I just think you'll know. What if you speak and there is no interpretation? Folks, remember what Paul is building here. He's bringing us into a gathering that is built on a foundation of love. So I just just encourages if someone feels that they are given a tongue to speak and they speak it and there is no interpretation, you're not going to get booted out the door and kind of flogged. We're going to love you and gather around you and encourage you and walk that through. And it feels like it doesn't fit in with what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying there should be an interpretation but if there isn't let's love one another let's be gracious towards one another and let's work that through together and build up the body even when we might be getting it wrong so just to close a few points of application how do we then take this and apply it to Liberty Church the first point is this Maybe it's the last time I'll hammer it because we'll leave chapter 14 next week. But when we gather, this is a time for building one another up. This is a time where we love one another. This is a time where we, where we look to God, where we, where we focus on Christ. And it is a time where we focus inwardly to the body. And the funnel through which everything that we do on a Sunday morning, the funnel is love. When we sing, when we share this meal together, we come from a position of love. And it's the same with tongues. Let that always be our motivation. To love the body, not to not to build build and make our, our, our own name, but to love one another. So that's the first point. The second point is this. I honestly think that some of us should be praying for it. I do. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, Paul says. Especially that you would prophesy, but earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. I think some of us should be praying for it. And I think that's okay that you should be praying for it. I don't think you should be feeling guilty or feeling, I'm not sure whether you should be doing this because it might look a little bit... I think you should feel okay with praying for that. If your heart is to build up the body, and you're praying at the same time for a gift of interpretation, either through yourself or through someone else, then I think you're on safe, safe ground. And pray away. Ask God to give you that gift. Thirdly, chapters 12, 13 and 14, Paul labours about about the gift of tongues in the corporate gathering. He's trying to correct and instruct the church in Corinth and, and tell them, okay, what does this look like when you gather together? What does it look like to do it well? But... There is clearly a space for tongues in our private prayer as well. So verse 18, just look down there with me. Paul says this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. It's interesting here that there's a sense when you read that verse that Paul Paul is someone who speaks in tongues, he engages with, with God in prayer through tongues, But less so in the corporate gathering. He speaks in tongues more than all of them. So there's a sense that Paul is showing us that he does do this privately. That he speaks in tongues in his personal devotion to God. And flick back to verse 4 of chapter 14. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. The one who prophesies builds up the church. This is one of the verses that we can take and take out of context. And we can think that Paul is saying, oh, these people are just making a platform for themselves when they speak in tongues and they are they are <laughs> building themselves up instead of building up the church. But actually what Paul is saying is the reality when you speak in tongues in your personal devotion is you are building yourself up. Translation translates, it's, it's self-edification. It's encouraging yourself. And when we read building up, there our natural reaction is, oh, it's it's a bad thing to build ourselves up. Especially when Paul is kind of, he's really hammering just the importance of being together. He's hammering the importance of, of of a community of love. Listen to what is said in Jude 20. Jude says this, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the spirit. Jude says the same thing. That we can build ourselves up. Is it wrong to build ourselves up? Well, yes, if, if the focus is just on ourselves. If we just want to become more holy and more righteous because, because that's better for us. Or if it's for the common good. If we are being edified and encouraged and built up in our personal devotion when we are speaking in tongues. And that is going to be for the good of the body, then it's not bad. It's not a bad thing. That if, if we are praying and we are um, in the word of God and we are being built and we are growing in our faith, that is only going to be a good thing for the body. If I mature in my, in my love for God, that, that should be pouring out to you. You should be feeling the benefit. So to build up yourself isn't a bad thing if it is done for the common good. So there is a place for private tongues. And unlike the gathering of God's people, there won't necessarily be an interpretation You may just be sitting there and just praising God and just extolling him and exalting him in a tongue that you can't understand. But you will experience spiritual fruit from that. You will grow in your love and your adoration for God. No different from when you're in the word, from when you're studying the word, from when you're praying, from when you're fasting and you're built up. In the same way Paul is saying, when you speak in heavenly tongues, in your private devotion, you can be built up as well. Fourthly and finally, I believe for us we need to fight to believe, pursue and embrace the spiritual gift of tongues. I think we need to really just embrace it. It's interesting, whilst we're not out of our minds when we practice the gift of tongues, there is a sense in in which, which when we are speaking tongues there isn't a full cognitive awareness of what is happening. Paul says it's unintelligible. There's mysteries of the Spirit. Paul's clear that we won't know what we are speaking. This isn't something that we have necessarily set our minds to. We haven't sat down and kind of worked out a five-point plan of how we're going to speak in tongues in that day. God by his Spirit will give us those tongues to speak. And then our Western mindset, which is truth-based, which is kind of a, a mindset which holds up the mind. It's rational, rationalistic. That sort of concept of, of not having a full awareness of what is going on in our mind, we can become sceptical and cautious of it. And a lot of us like to believe that our minds are the sum total of who we are. But the Bible speaks clearly that we are embodied souls, that our soul is made up of a mind, yes, but a spirit as well. So there is a rational component to our souls. There is a way that we can think and engage and, and work things through from, from, a, from a position of truth and, and really understanding things. But there is also a transrational aspect to who we are. Not irrational. Not irrational in the sense that we don't, we haven't, we haven't got a clue what is going on and it doesn't make sense, but, but trans-rational, being beyond the grasp of our mind. Tongues is one of those ways that we see that in our spirit. So what do we do with that? people who are naturally kind of we're British we're conservative we kind of question everything we want scientific reason for everything we want to be based on truth and truth alone what do we do let me just leave you with what Paul says in verse 15 he asks the same question what shall I do do we reject the gift of tongues do we disapprove of the gift of tongues because we can't fully wrap our minds around it Paul says, I will pray with my spirit. I will also pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit. But I will sing with my mind also. Paul is encouraging the body to engage in the fullness of who we are. Not just to set our mind to things, but to allow God graciously by his spirit to function through our spirit to his praise and glory. And as a result, the church will be built up he will be glorified. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this gracious gift that you've given your body. A way in which we can engage with you, which we can praise you and prayerfully exalt who you are. Father, I acknowledge that there is even within me just some skepticism or some caution as as we step towards this and and seek to embrace it and I just pray that by your spirit you would bring a peace there that you would help us to believe what we read here that you wouldn't have us use abuse as, as an excuse for not engaging in these things but you would truly show us, show us the beauty in the gift that you have given us here Father I do pray that you would give our church the gift of tongues that this might be something in our personal devotion that, that you would give us, a way that we can we can uh, converse with you and communicate you that you would help us in our weakness we've seen that already and I'm so grateful for that we've seen you use the gift of tongues to encourage us in our weakness with groans beyond our own our own speaking Father I do pray that you would just remove any any rejection of this gift that you would correct us there But Father, I pray that we would engage in this lovingly, that we would do it right, that you would give us the gift of interpretation as well as the gift of tongues. Father, I just thank you that even if this gift isn't given now and even if we don't hear tongues being spoken out, you have still given us countless reasons and countless ways to praise you. I thank you that we are in no doubt that you are a God who is worthy of our praise worthy of being exalted. And we ask that that's what would happen right now as we share this meal, that you would be praised, you would be adored with the wholeness of who we are, with our mind and with our spirit, that we would place our affections onto you and you alone.